Welcome to MTZ Overflow Podcast. You've just finished listening to the sermon. Now let's get into the overflow. We're glad you're here. You know, it just it just continues to remind me that you like to stay swaggy. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I'm gonna come out in Red Sox today, boy. You gonna see my <laughs> you gonna see my ankles. Go make it fun. Mm-hmm. Did you, are you a decorative sock person? Uh, I, I like socks. Okay. Well, that didn't so. answer my question. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, sorry, yes. (laughs) I like socks, too. I'm not a decorative sock person, but I definitely do enjoy um, some comfy socks. Um, Actually, like a few months ago, I went through and bought a whole bunch of new socks. Mm. Because I was, the socks I had, they they were good. They were good socks. But I'd had them for probably like a decade at this at that point no, that's fine. i don't know what the life of socks are but i had them for a while and they were still in some decent condition but i was like you know what cassandra you got a big girl job <laughs> big girl job <laughs> you can afford to get some new socks and i said self you right so i got new socks yeah i think socks go into their holes in them or they wear out well than that I keep mine yeah so wear it literally till the till the heel falls off on the socks so. you heard me <laughs> you heard me oh gosh man so we are it's February Ugh. you got any Valentine's Day plans can you speak about them no, uh, I'm teaching on uh, Tuesday night. Uh, right. So, teaching on Valentine's Day. We had the option to take off Valentine's Week or um, Ash Wednesday. So, since I'm teaching with a Presbyterian pastor, we went with the Ash Wednesday. Wow. Okay. I shouldn't say wow, but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and... Uh, and no, we we don't we don't celebrate Valentine's Day like that in my house as as most probably would. <coughs> but I have developed a tradition of not taking Tara out to dinner on Valentine's Day, but I take the girls out, Alex and oh. um, Makaya, and um, I'm even though Alex is married, she's still allowing me to take her out. On Monday, okay, the day before Valentine's Day, so I normally get them a gift, but um, and take them out to dinner. We and so I'm glad Alex still allowed me to do that tradition. That really made me feel good. That's good, even though she married to Richard Jones Jr. <laughs> You'll always be you. You're the example of love. If she didn't have that love from you, she wouldn't have been able to love that man, right? So. Can't be too mad at him. What I what you mean? I'm not mad. I'm happy for them. Uh, oh, okay. I just I just heard a little. I'm extremely no. happy for them because I said his full government name was a yeah yeah. That's my son-in-law. Yeah. Job Richard. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure it was hard for him. I mean. Dating a pastor's daughter, I feel like, is hard anyway. Like, you you, you are watched, not only just by the family, but the mm-hmm. church family. The whole church. So, all eyes on you at all times. Right. Yeah. Lord, don't call me to that life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes we got to go to God for what we don't want either. Right. <laughs> Uh, you never know. It might be a preacher out there for you. <sighs> Lord, I ask. You know what? Your will, God. Your will. Um, but we are. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the combo. I'm here with Pastor Alan.
Lynn, um, who is here. We are in a new sermon series because we are in February, and it is about living for justice. Mm-hmm. We're doing something pretty cool here. We started last year. I say we because I'm a member of Mount Zion, but it was not my <laughs> idea to, <laughs> to bring in uh, different community members uh, to worship with us. And so we could honor them and pray over them. And uh, I think that's really cool. Um, that was good. Uh, I don't know whose idea it was. Excuse me. Shout out to them. Oh, well, it was your idea? As most ideas are. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really good idea. And I, and I think people got really excited about it, too. Yeah. Um, I think when they first, when first, like the first one, people were like, eh. and then like word got out more, and mm-hmm. you know people get more excited, and you know we're seeing a lot more representation of our community because there are a lot of black folk in Madison doing really great things. Oh yeah, and I don't, I, I don't know if other churches are doing it. I'm not, I'm not trying to knock anybody. I just know what Mount Zion does, and we did that really well. Yeah, so I look forward to that this month as well yeah i think it's it's good um to show them that they have a community behind them yeah. here at mount zion that supports their efforts yeah and what they're doing and and more importantly we're praying for them and praying over them as they continue to do uh, great work in the community yeah so really looking forward to it who who are we honoring in february uh so the first sunday would be government officials um, executives and black-led organizations. Okay. Um, second Sunday is um, sororities and fraternities, Divine Nine, uh, Masons, and Eastern Stars. Okay. Third week will be health and mental health professionals. Um, okay. And then fourth Sunday will be arts and entertainment and educators. Cool. Exciting. Mm-hmm. I look forward to it. Forward to doing it. I like uh, last year when the fraternities and sororities came. They, I mean, they came. Okay, they they gonna show up. So I'm excited <laughs> to see <laughs> how much more they're gonna show up uh, this year. You you think we could get a stroll out of them? Can we they stroll should. in church? I, I I really want that to happen. That would be cool. That would be cool. Well, if I ha- we probably can't like air it. It would have to be like <laughs> the server would have to have it. So you gotta be in church for it, okay? We probably just play. It. <laughs> I don't know. That's the song. That's the song. I think. I, I hear. Know. I hear the bass. I hear that. Come on, the trumpets. And then I see him getting formation. I'm and like, they just Ooh. they just line up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we probably can have an instrumental. No words. Just just music. Oh yeah, maybe Deacon Stanley can learn how to play it. Maybe he'll probably jazz it up. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so we are here in this text, Luke, the doctor, mm-hmm. the physician. He's telling the story. It, it, is it? I by is does he have the most? parable is he the one that tells the most about jesus's life is that his book there's some what what makes luke different than the other gospels um luke is speaking from a perspective of peter oh so he's um, a ghost writer pretty much because he wasn't a disciple he wasn't with jesus okay um and so he's really some would suggest he's speaking from perspective of, of Peter. Yeah. Um, and so um, Luke writes also the book of Acts. Um, yeah, and I think uh, and Mark, so Matthew is pretty much the soon coming king. Uh-huh. Um, Luke is focused on more um, parables of, of um medical wise so because he was a physician uh, mark is um suffering servant okay he jumps right in talks about you know the miracles of jesus all about action excuse me about action in the text 
and then um, John is pretty much the revelator in this book focus on a lot of who Jesus revealing who Jesus is dope so it has the seven like I am statement yeah. I am the way of life I am the tree gotcha uh, I am not tree. I'm the truth. <laughs> <laughs> we knew tree of life. <laughs> tree of life. <laughs> the bread of life. There we go. I'm the bread of life. I am the um, um, the door. I am the resurrection. Yep. I am the true vine. So that's what John's trying to reveal: the deity of of Jesus okay. Christ. All right. Cool. Um, so before you, you dive into like, well, you already talked about Luke, but then more so like where we're at in, in this part of scripture, uh, Luke 18 verses t- one through eight. Um, this is how I know <laughs> Jesus is not white because of this, the parable that he gives. Cause he, he's talking about. A certain city, a certain judge, and a certain widow. This very much speaks to my community of, you know, that place with so and so over there. Yes, like it just you can know you know. So the that I just wanted to to let people know that Jesus uh, Jesus speaks to to his people. <laughs> I got you. Yeah, it's just a certain. Yeah, like you go around that corner and you will see over there. When you come up the up the up the hill, you will find this place. That right by what's the name? Yeah, what's the name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's our conversation. I knew exactly where you were too. <laughs> that's our conversation. <laughs> exactly. So Luke eighteen. What where's what is eighteen? What what's happening in the in this uh, chapter? Well, um, this is the, the beginning of the chapter, but it, I'd link, if you read back to chapter 17, Jesus really just telling them about the end times, how to prepare, what's going on, what's going to happen, and things like that. And so he's preparing them for um, when he returns. Mm-hmm. And so that's what he's trying to get to uh, the people, the disciples he's talking to. Okay. So we're talking about the end times. And it's not just a revelation. It's all throughout the Bible. Mm-hmm. Take your time. Read it. Um, so Live for Justice. That is our uh, sermon series of this year. And uh, Pastor, you go through a history of African Americans in this country. Right. We talk about Juneteenth, the emancipation from, excuse me, from slavery. We talk about Reconstruction, where uh, black folks are thriving and being excellent. Uh White people didn't like that, so then we had the Jim Crow laws. Right. Um, and then we move into the Civil Rights Movement um, and talking about demands for justice and uh, the right to vote. And what is, as you were going through it and as I was writing my notes, thinking about how these were taught to me, each of these were taught very separate. So, well, Juneteenth wasn't like truly taught. First of all, not at all. And then you have a bit about reconstruction. And And we don't hear much about that neither. No, it's more so about just being free and having the opportunity to buy and to own and to, you know, make money. So all those things. And then you get into Jim Crow, which is always downplayed. Mm -hmm. And now we have. Then we have the civil rights movement, which is very much robust, I think, mainly because of the coverage that it was able to have because of the time period. Uh, And then we also and the right to vote. Some of that suppressed because then, yes, you do have more media coverage. But depending on who's controlling the media coverage is what you see. Mm -hmm. I say all that to say the way that it has been depicted to me until this was these were small things that happened. They, or I shouldn't say small, independently happened. Mm -hmm. And as you read through the chronological timeline, these very much build upon each other. And they flow into each other. And those are the things that I think we as as black people, excuse me, need to recognize more that there's a, (laughs) it, it truly is systemic. It's not just 
the events that are happening today, it is the foundations of our country mm-hmm. of how much we have fought for justice. Justice has not been served. We're given bones here and there, but we have not been truly served uh, our our just dues. Right. I'm still waiting on my 40 acres. Right. Keep, well, I'll, t- I'll take a mule. No. <laughs> But where where are they? You know, uh, as as people, those are the things we need to continue to demand for, and that is what the certain widow did. Right. Have you have you just um, like growing up, high school, even college? You know, I didn't hear nothing when it came to U.S. history one or two. You know, those like mandatory courses you yeah. have to take. That spoke to Juneteenth, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, Even Central Park. I don't hear anything. About nothing that. about Central Park. Um, when we look, even as we look at like uh, hidden figures from that movie, you've never heard of those women. Nope. Before, and you've take college level courses about U.S. history. Yep. What? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And even now, you know, the the curriculum is under attack in some states to even teach about black people being involved in the history of this nation. When, in fact, if it were not for the free labor of slaves, America would not be the economic giant it is today. Preach. From those hundreds of years of free labor. Uh-huh. And so we, we look at this this tension in this um, what we call these United States uh, when it comes to black people we look at the issues that we continue are haunted with we don't hear about redlining no when it comes to American history we don't hear how uh, after World War one and two vets were not allowed to use their VA loans or their GI Bill to go to any college they wanted to <laughs> for education after they fought for this country, yeah. going to war for this country, and go fight other countries and then come back and treat it the same as others are being treated where we're going to relieve oppression in other countries while we're oppressing black people still in our own country. Yeah. Um, we, we don't hear, we didn't hear about, uh, of course, slavery. We know the brutality of slavery. We know the oppression. We know the pain um, that they endured. But we don't hear about the successes of doing the Reconstruction. Yeah. Just start hearing about it. Listen to the 1619 Project uh-huh. or doing some research and going back and see how uh, initially African Americans were mostly Republicans and and how they had seats in Congress in the late 1800s after slavery and during the reconstruction, they were able to uh, start their businesses. They were able to get going and they were able to do this with nothing. Mm-hmm. They leaving slave quarters and going to start banks and newspaper companies and colleges. What? Right. They have nothing, but they're going to be successful. And then to, have to endure Jim Crow and endure the lynching tree. And so we never heard about the great migration and we really don't really hear about why it happened. And it happened because of the violence of the Ku Klux Klan and it happened because of the violence of uh, people, white people against black people, bombing churches, uh, burning crosses on people's yards and stuff if they spoke out against the injustice that they had experienced or even saying that a white person did something wrong to a black person. If you watch Emmett Till, uh, the uncle of Emmett Till was so afraid and upset just to testify on the stand that these men came to his house and took his own nephew. Mm -hmm. Mm. And immediately after... He gave his testimony, had to get in the vehicle and drive out of town because of the fear of what would happen to him for testifying that these men tortured and killed his family member. Yeah. And so we don't we don't we never hear about it. we don't hear about the great how the great migration happened where where uh, during the nineteen twenties and thirties and 
I'm pretty sure all the way through the 80s, some said stop um, at you know, the 60s, but I was born in the 80s, and my mom lived in Mississippi and moved up north to Milwaukee, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and most people from Chicago are from Mississippi or Arkansas, and uh, or you look, most people, black people in um, in California, either was in Texas or Louisiana, because... They went wherever the river was, wherever yeah. the water was. So most people from Alabama go to Cleveland and those in Georgia and, and Florida and, 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 and that area go to New York. And so we have this. Uh, we we've rarely hear anything about the great renaissance that happened in Harlem mm-hmm. because of the great migration that moved this talent from the south and moved it up north. So we don't hear about these types of things, that how great we were. We just hear about the oppression of slavery. We were freed, and we go from freedom of slavery to civil rights movement. Yep. Um, and that's what we learn in schools. We don't see about what happened in between of how during Reconstruction we were starting to get uh, do what we would need it. And it wasn't when they was giving us anything, we were working for it. Yeah. And then when we prosper, we have Tulsa, we have Chicago, we have D.C., where they burn mm-hmm. and kill because now you have black people, black soldiers who know how to use rifles and guns, and now they know how to shoot and defend themselves, but they, they're overpowered because it's more of white people than it was of them. They had more guns than what they had, you know. Yeah. They bombing Tulsa, Oklahoma, dropping bombs on communities, burning, killing people. It is it's the the history of this nation when it comes to black people is despicable and yeah. it continue to persist. Yeah, but yeah, the <laughs> like domestic terrorism, right? Um, like you're bombing American citizens for what? what I know is that there is fear. It's out of fear. For one, maybe the biggest one, is that they do not want black people to retaliate based off of how they treated black people. And so they're like, well, we gotta gotta destroy them because we we don't want them to do to them what, what we did to them. No, 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 no. But I don't know. I don't know of any time in history where black people have said we need to now destroy white communities or destroy Nat Turner. Nat Turner did. Okay. <laughs> Nat. Okay. There but, we go. But yeah, yeah, it, it 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 you you would think that yeah. at every chance African American community will attempt to attack white America. But because I believe because of many of our Christian values, most black people grew up as Christian, Mm -hmm. not now, but back then, um, that saved America from being openly white versus black when, when it's still, I believe it's somewhat there now. Uh-huh. Um, I also believe um, I think I think one of the issues is basically power. Well, that's a big one. How do we make sure we remain in the majority? Minor- I mean, the majority. Uh-huh. So we'll redistrict zones. Yep. Um, we'll we, we'll make sure that you can't vote. We'll make it as hard as possible for you to vote. Um, we'll continue to oppress you through laws now. At first, we just oppress you with our hands and guns and shackles and chains, but now we'll develop laws to oppress you. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll build suburbs for for our people to live in, and we won't fund you because of the lower tax practice you live in, and therefore your schooling will go down. Mm-hmm. Your parks will go down. Um, your 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 roads will be um, terrible, right? Because 
you won't have the tax paying funding to support what you have. Milwaukee, um, I went to a class, pastoral leadership in a culture context. Uh, Milwaukee is the largest city in, in the state of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. However, it's one of the poorest cities. <laughs> Let me say that again, largest, but one of the poorest. And and when it comes to the tax dollars of Milwaukee, the suburbs of Milwaukee and downtown Milwaukee make up, I think they said almost sixty to seventy percent of the income of the whole city. Jeez. Something like that, I think. Don't give me the line, but it it makes up a lot of it, and not the city of Milwaukee. Um, and that's because you know, um crack epidemic uh-huh. you know what I mean that really destroyed the black family um, um, major people were moving to Milwaukee to work at work at factories and they were making they were uh, middle class black families that were making good money mm-hmm. until they started moving these factories out of the community and then putting them in the suburbs where people can't get to work and so that Threw things off. Mm-hmm. They built roads. They built highways through our communities. Yeah, you know what I mean. Anything and then they say, "Why you can't make it now?" <laughs> right. They just they are through these laws and these decisions to disrupt our flow. Once we start getting momentum, once we start getting some confidence, stuff starts moving. Whoop! Rug pulled. Whoop! We're going to change this. Oh, mm-hmm. policy change. Right. To your point of power, or the, uh, I'll say the fear of losing power right. drives that. Right. Because you, you see, even to this day, we have, oh, this is the first black. Even looking at the NFL. Yeah. First time two black quarterbacks play against each other in the Super Bowl. Uh-huh. <laughs> Still no black owners. You know what I'm saying, um, and and even the um, the um, the standard for coaching head coaching jobs continue to change when it comes to black coaches. Uh-huh. First, they saying they need to be a offensive coordinators. Eric Bieniemy of the Chiefs has won two championships and been to five AFC conference championships and f- apply for about fifteen jobs and can't get a job. And and the Eagles lose in the Super Bowl, and both their defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator get a head coaching job. Huh. Hmm. Hmm. You you feel what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And um, and I remember when I was in the army, one of my leaders, uh, I really wanted to fight him after he said this. <coughs> Not fight him. Yes, he was a tall Caucasian man, and he was saying. Uh, my granddaddy always told me, uh, don't play the game, coach the game, because you can still control black people. Huh. Uh. I, I, and I was in Iraq with M4 with 30 rounds, you feel me? Yeah. And grenades and things like that. And to say that and laugh and jokingly and no, I wasn't as aware of mm-hmm. culture then, but that still made me upset. And even think about it now, it makes me even more angry um, to see, you no, know, this is what white America is taught. Yep. You don't have to get on the field. You don't have to get on the court, stand on the sideline, and you still can control them. Yep. And uh, and then we'll we'll get back into the text. <laughs> um, and then what's promoted to us, right? We are in these areas that, or we've we've been forced into these areas of low resources, positions of low income, the requirements for roles and education, all of that. And so then you have these positions of entertainer, rapper, singer, mm-hmm. uh, athlete, flashing millions in their faces. Right. 
So then those are the roles that we desire. Those mm-hmm. are the ones that we see, right? I see somebody that looks like me making this money. I wanted to do that. Like I saw a graphic. Um, it was about, you know, who's getting paid for what. And it was uh, Rihanna was on one side and Patrick Mahomes was on the other side. He got paid like one thirty-five for the year, I think. Million for the year. Mm-hmm. Rihanna got paid one thirty-eight. 138 million for the Super Bowl. And so you look at that. I mean, kudos to them. Get your check. Run your money. I love that for you. But as if I'm a young person and I'm like, whoa, I can make that money? Yes, I want to do that. Man, $138 million, that changed my life. What? <laughs> my whole life. And your kids <laughs> and grandchildren. If you do it right. If you do it right. Then, and and where we get stuck is where I'm stuck on Rihanna getting paid. I'm not going for who's writing her that check, right? Who has the money, right, to give her that much? That's that's it right there. And that's the thing that we don't yeah. we don't talk about. We don't to your point of, you know, the coach controlling the game. The coaches probably make more than the players. Mm-hmm. Some of them, yeah. And so, why why don't we, like, we need to do a better job of, and not even just the coach, like, the GM, the hiring them, mm-hmm. the president, the HR person. Like, we're not highlighting these other roles where we can be strong and successful because all that's ever pumped to us is the flash, yep. the jewelry, the Instagram. Like, one of my... One of my really close friends, two of my close friends, they work for uh, the NBA, various uh, uh, teams. But it's like, like I know they make good money, but no one's trying to be that job, either mm-hmm. job that they have. And they're not, I mean, they're they're good job, HR, scouting. Right. But because that's not what we see. Right. I like what you know. said, uh, that you know, we just see the checks, but we're not looking at who name on that check. Yeah. And, you know, during this time of year when it comes, like, free agency period and, and you see these contracts these players were getting. No, well, they were just talking about, like, Jalen Hurts, his starting salary next year just may be above $45 million a year. Jeez. Starting. Starting. That's at negotiations. He ain't even like, yo, I need more, you know. Because I just did da 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 You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and so I think that's – that's um, that's what we gotta look at and start pushing our kids to becoming not just being on the field, but how do you get your name on the field? Yeah. Um, because we've never seen it. Uh-huh. We don't see that where we from or in our neighborhoods, and so all we know is to run fast, jump high, sing high notes, um, put sixteen bars together, so that we can find a way to make it now. That boy LeBron doing it the right way. Yeah. On every he a billionaire. He is. You know That's what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. And, and and I think he doing it the right way when bring brought his friends along. Yep. Business. It's crazy. It's so and, and but but just to and I know one day he gonna own some type of franchise. Like a NBA franchise. NBA NFL something. He gonna own something. I know. I just feel it. Uh, yeah. type of person he is. Um and he has no college education, you know, he just but he's gifted, right? Right. Um before coming to Madison, I didn't see as much of black excellence. Mm. Now I've seen you no know, lawyers, doctors, uh, but to come here and see soil scientists Genetic scientists, professors at the university, judges, um, lawyers, doctors. Um, and so our kids, since we can't see that, that's the only thing we try to go after. Uh-huh. Um, we, we even see it. Um, so sports and even with military, um, and even in the Army, like I'm in, I was in the Army, 
and my job, you know, was to be a fueler. I was I was refueling aircrafts and ground vehicles, yeah. and um, and in order for me to get promoted, let's to E six. That's a, a, a staff job. In order for me to get promoted, I have to score seven hundred and ninety eight points. The, the max points were eight hundred. And I had to score 798 in order to get promoted. Whereas an infantryman, his was f- f- about 550. Okay. 550 points. So for me, I have to be the best at physical training, shooting my weapon, um, military education, civilian education, and awards. I got to max out everything in order for me to get promoted. But this infantry man, he, 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 physical training, what he's doing all day, training all day, using his weapon is what they do all day, (laughs) shooting their weapon. And majority of those individuals in this field are white individuals. The majority of people in my field are African-Americans. Huh. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. And I ain't noticed that till I got out of the army, you know. But but if you look at it and see, I'm like, man, I got to go through all this just to get promoted. But you know the thing they say, well, infantry man don't stay alone, stay around longer. You know, as far as people in my field, because it's a safer job, they stay around longer. So it's the more people there, and so it's hard to promote everybody based off budgetary things. That's what that's what we say. But if you look at it from that perspective, like yo. These or even even um, MI or military intelligence. Uh-huh. That's a mostly a predominantly white uh, field um, because, of course, they gonna get more kids that went to affluent neighborhoods yeah. and, and high schools, and so they're gonna score higher on their ASFAB test. And the same, their points are not that high to get promoted neither. Huh. You feel what I mean? And so I, 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 I look at it. That's that's the way I, I see it now, and some may disagree or whatever. But I look at it like, yo, if you look at the fields where it's predominantly African-American, it's harder for them to get promoted in the ranks than it is for the, those yeah. fields because they base it off the jobs and their requirements. Yep. So your first point here, uh, we talk about don't stop praying. Right. Uh, I think from the examples that we were speaking on before, uh, it can be hard to keep praying when you see so much oppression. That's that'll probably be just the word that I'll use to cover everything. When you see so much oppression, it's hard to to keep praying. But um, we should apparently. That's what that's what the text says. <laughs> yeah. So so we see this woman um, that no, at least we see ultimately in the text Jesus opens up the text and when he's talking about the end time he opened up uh, with the word saying, um, men, women, all of us ought to pray and not lose heart. Uh-huh. Always pray, um, and even before we seek justice. Prayer must be the first thing we must do. That's what I believe, and I believe that's what Jesus is trying to teach in the text. That at the end, prayer should always be the number one go-to before pursuing anything else. And so that's why um, this open up verse number one says, Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Yeah. And like you're saying, in, in these situations in which we see, in these environment in which we live in, it can seem as if our prayers are not working. But we also have seen a lot of movement. We've seen a lot of changes. Um, we, we've seen um, some steps forward. Um, you know, we have this freedom now. We're able to do what we want to do with this podcast and be on here and talk right. how we want to talk, how we feel. Right. And not be afraid or ashamed of who we are and no one coming and giving us any type of backlash. Or if they do, oh, well, God bless you. Goodbye. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but so I think uh, we asked this woman, as Jesus opened the text, he teaching the disciples um, 
there's some terrible times that are going to come. The end is going to come, but ultimately prayer must be the leading force to everything that you commit yourself to. Mm. Prayer. As uh, as we've continued with these podcasts and these conversations, prayer is definitely as a cornerstone um, part of it. Maybe, I, do we do any type of education on prayer or like where can people reach out if they're trying to learn how to improve their prayer life come to bible study okay uh, we have prayer meeting um every wednesday night at six o'clock and if they got any questions on prayer uh, we can uh, answer them there um every monday wednesday and friday we have motivational prayer line at 7 a.m if they have any questions on prayer they can ask them there or um, currently, you know, we're doing Sunday school on um, conference call. So if they have any questions about prayer, they can call in for that. Um, prayer is a simple conversation with God as if I'm having a conversation with you. Uh-huh. Um, they can read the model prayer um, in Matthew chapter 9 uh, when Jesus tells us. Uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus tells us how to pray our Father who are in heaven, mm. the model prayer. And uh, prayer is something that we must commit ourselves to daily. If we look at our um, Muslim Islam brothers, they they commit themselves to praying at least I think five times a day. Yep. No matter what's going on, if they're devout to their religion, they're going to stop what they're doing. They're not going to schedule meetings around those times. They're going to pull out their carpet or whatever they may have. They're uh-huh. going to bow in submission and they're going to pray unto their God. Um. And I think we need to be intentional in the same way that God needs to have. Uh, we need to have conversation with God about what we have going on in our lives. Yeah. And especially when it comes to justice and oppression and prejudice and racism, prayer is necessary because prayer allows you to let them emotions out. Mm. Uh, even when you can't let them out on people in ways that you want to. Yeah. That was good. Uh, so, uh, I wanted to I wanted to ask you this question because I know there's there's people that listen that are just like, why does Jesus use parables? Why can't he just straight up directly tell people what they need to do? Why does he use so many illustrations? Um, because he put it in terms that they can understand it in. Uh, hmm. He, he used uh, occasions where people can be able to relate to what he's saying. The parable is. Um, a heavenly message in earthly form. Um, and so if he's trying to convey a message to them, he put it in an illustrated form that they may be able to capture the true meaning of what he's trying to say. And and most people know, most people who give speeches or sermons or talks, they're going to use, or teaching. Uh, your teacher going to give you an illustration to give you a better understanding of what they're trying to say in a in a terminology or form that you can understand most at your intellectual level mm, okay so to kind of as church folks will say like make it plain try okay he I tries best to make it plain as possible so you won't say i ain't understand that yeah you know often you see after parables we see jesus put you to work to what he just <laughs> taught you go be transformed uh, well, that's that's good. That's helpful. Making it making it digestible and understandable. The next one is is about being present, and this is where we talk more about this judge, this hater <laughs> judge. I just imagine him, right? My little biblical imagination of of who this man was. He's been a judge for a long time, and he is just like seen it all i've heard it all i'm here like he's like i go i do my thing i don't like people i go home Mm -hmm. maybe he had some things that had happened in his personal life that he didn't like process work through but he just and and he's (laughs) he's like five four (laughs) he's a round fella like solid round not like you know like just front heavy he just he just round guy and he he yields all this power as the judge, and he uses it because he doesn't necessarily have the power and stature. 
And so then by the, at the time period, judge has a lot of authority over the, over the people. People know him. He's able to get his way. You know, he's first in line at the deli to get mm-hmm. his lunch. Uh, you know, he, he gets to go into the synagogue first, all this stuff, right? And so then he has this woman who he truly perceives as being less than him. And just, like, the power of, like, wearing on the heart of somebody else is just, I feel like it shows up very evident in this in this text of, of uh, with this woman. Because I just imagine her being, you know, maybe, she, maybe, she, maybe she's a little bit taller than him, like 5'5". Five, five. But she just continually, because does it say like what? What does she want? She wants justice, but for what? Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It doesn't say right. Right. So she's just ask. She's like, I, I need justice for. Uh, he, he stole my apples from my cart. Whatever. Mm-hmm. And her. Her willingness to constantly show up. And I think we, as a people, sometimes, and you talk about it, we'll elaborate it more, we don't always want to show up, especially if it could possibly be inconvenient. Right. So, like, uh, it's a birthday party, but yet you also got this other party that's going on at the same time. We choose. We 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 think about the value of what what that relationship is to us, and maybe somebody like really needs us to be there, but we're choosing not to move things around so that we can be present or at least available for that person. I say all of that to say, I think at times we will put, we will use the things that are in our way as barriers to keep them there so that we don't have to face what we need to versus finding ways around them so that we can go go be present yeah i think you know we look at this text and i say keep being uh, don't stop being present because you just look at the widow her constant persistence yeah of being in his face and here's the man um the judge did not fear God, nor did he have any regard for people. And because he didn't fear God, he didn't have to love his neighbor as himself, right? He didn't have to pray for those who despitefully misused him uh-huh. and love on him. And you know, you know, he didn't, he didn't, because he didn't have that a part of him. And Jesus normally, when he tells parables, he goes to the extreme of who people are. Yeah. So this, he said, this man. Um, he's ungodly and he don't like people. <laughs> and awesome. so he's, you know, he's a narcissistic thinking about himself all the time. Uh, but when he's in power, he has to judge. Yeah. And, and I, and, but still don't have regard for people. I don't understand that. Right. Jesus yeah. goes to the extreme. But if we look at America today, we see that. Right, uh-huh. people in power, but no regard for the people. Yeah, um, and, and and you can tell there's no regard, especially for some people, uh, when they're trying to oppress votes. And I really get upset with our people when they saying we're not voting. That angers me, knowing how much was paid for us to have that right to uh-huh. vote. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, but but. For them to attempt to oppress the vote means that the vote means something. Right. Right. But they have no regard for the people. They're only making sure that they are in what power. Uh Why not make voting the easiest thing to do in America? Why get upset when poor people need health insurance? Right. Someone cannot afford health insurance. Why shouldn't our tax dollars go towards that? Mm-hmm. It, you, you know what I'm saying? Some of the most expensive stuff in America is 
health and education. Which is crazy. Things for living. Yeah. Things to be able to earn a livable wage. Yeah. But we won't provide it because, again, if they get this, they're going to want something else. You, you understand what I'm uh-huh. saying? Um, and so this is this judge, no regard uh, for other people. Um, and, and and what angers me, too, like, how is the prison budget higher than the educational budget? That's so. That, that, there are more children in school than there are in pri- and men in prison. Uh-huh. But you pay more to house and not rehabilitate individuals, which is what prison is. Uh, that that's part. what they suggest is designed for. That part. Not to rehabilitate them, just to house them. You pay more for the house inmates or individuals who have committed crimes than you do to keep them from doing it by giving them a proper education. No regard for the people. No regard. Um, and and, and it, it's, it, it's crazy. It's despicable if you ask me. Um, this certain judge, no regard for the people, um, no regard, did not fear God but then he comes across this widow, uh-huh. this widow who is seeking justice. We don't know what she's seeking justice for, but we know a widow is someone who is uh, alone. Uh-huh. In these times, they were the oppressed. True. They left to defend themselves and um, take care of themselves. There were no social services and uh, because of the patriarchal system. Um, that was in place. Women wasn't able to work certain jobs or outside the home. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so they needed a man in order to take care of them, but she has no one. She's a widow and suggesting that she don't have any children, no son, or anything to take care of her. So she had to take care of herself. She's being mistreated. Mm. And I think one of the best sermons I heard, I, I don't even know the preacher's name, but he talked about this, what type of dog, type of monster type of devil would hurt a widow mm. what what type of person will take from the needy <laughs> what, what 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 type of person would 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 steal and rob people who already don't have anything yeah and that's this widow in the text yeah that's what we see in America, and and it's, it's it's despicable, right? And so this widow comes, and the Bible says she's persistent; she will not leave. She continues to say, "Give me justice," and that's what I say about us. Uh, we got to keep being present. She just every day she come back. I want justice. I want justice. I yeah. want justice. He's yeah. like, yo, I don't give justice to this particular situation or looking down on the widow. Um, she wants justice, and because of her persistence and showing up, yeah, he gives in and gives her what she requests. And and I say, um, America knows the system of Black America that we will. March in the street, mm-hmm. we'll holler, we'll scream, we'll do certain things. Um, they'll give us a little crumb, and we'll go back to our spaces. And business as usual will continue. Yep. But I I admire when I look back on the bus boycott in Alabama. That lasted over a year. Oh, it was a year. Yeah, you would think it just, like it just happened. I thought it was like a few months. You know, yeah. over a year. Wow. They walked to work. They they bought their own vans or used their own vehicles to help get people to yeah. grocery store and things like that. You would think I thought it, I didn't think it lasted that long yeah, as we look at it, but 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 the harsh reality of demanding justice is sometimes painful. Ooh. Ooh. It's painful. It's very painful. Painful. 
inconvenience. Mm -hmm. But if you don't do it, then who else going to do it? If you have the ability in divorce. Yeah. But like, you see, like, uh, people will say, um, best thing America did to stop Thurgood Marshall was to put him on Supreme Court. Because he had to conform? Because now he's not out there fighting against oh. the laws. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now he's sitting on Supreme Court. Some will say um, the worst thing ever happened to America was integration. Huh. At first I was like, what? But then you look back on it, uh, black businesses shut down because black people start going to the white businesses because now they're included. Uh-huh. Schools went began to run down. Uh, banks began to close. Hotels and motels shut down. We had all of that in our community. Innovation, yeah. innovation of our community stopped because now we're we're integrated with <coughs> with everyone else. And so that's something I still wrestle with and really try to think back on. Well, that, that yeah, the the integration only went one way. Mm -hmm. So to that point. You know, the black businesses shut down, black banks, black teachers. Right. They're not, they're not, we are, they allow us to be in the school, but we still can't teach at the school. Mm-hmm. So the community separation still existed. And that was something I learned, like, a few years ago. Because at first it was like, yeah, like, we're included, woo. But then look at, like, what, what's left from that? Like, why wasn't it? Why was integration just going one way? Mm -hmm. And then I think to your point earlier about our Christian principles, I don't think we'd ever would have excluded white kids from coming to no. the schools. No. Uh, at the time, probably, they're, you know, because of what the uh, the perception and how the, the society was, they wouldn't be allowed. White kids wouldn't be allowed to be seen in some of these black schools. But mm -hmm. it, would, it would be far... It would be naive of me to think that there were never any white students in these predominantly black schools based off of uh, socioeconomic status mm -hmm. or just location or something. like. But I think overall, the fact that we, again, we were thriving, we had our own communities. Right. What they saw was, oh, they're about to I also think they're like, oh, they're they're about to like create another entity for themselves. Oh, oh, let's let them in so like that can slow down, mm -hmm. and we can have more power. Power. <sighs> America, do better. <laughs> um, and, and all of that, right? All the things we've been talking about, the history, the things that history, recent history, the current lives that we lead. You know, it, to believe makes it challenging as well. You tell us to don't stop believing. Yeah. It said, the Bible says, then the Lord, in verse number six says, then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. Right? The unjust judge says, um, I'm tired of this woman. Yeah. And because I'm tired of her, she she wearies me. Uh, she's wearing me down. Um, I think in the Greek, um, it suggests that she's giving me a black eye. Oh. Huh. Right. <laughs> See, because of what she's doing, she's letting everybody know that I'm treating her unjustly. Because mm. she continues to come back every day right and says then the lord says here hear what the unjust judge has said and shall not god not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him and what's happening here jesus is saying he's looking he's comparing the actions of the unjust judge to the just judge who is god mm -hmm. and if the unjust judge is moved by this woman what makes you think God would not be moved by your prayers? Mm. So that's what that's the comparison 
that's going on here. He said, though he bears long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily nevertheless. Again, he's saying, uh, even though God may not answer your prayers when you ask, you may have to continue to go as this woman went both day and night. Yeah. He will avenge your you speedily. Nevertheless, the son of man comes. Will he really find faith on the earth? And that's what I mean to stay. Keep believing. Keep believing. So even though uh, even though what I've been praying for may never happen in my time. I'm still believing that it shall happen. Yeah. And I'm thankful for those mothers and those fathers and those preachers and those prayers who pray for the end of slavery, never saw it, but they kept believing it. Mm. Thankful for those who were in the South and had to deal with the Ku Klux Klan and, Pray for the ending of the violence on the bodies of black people that hung from trees in the lynching tree. Uh, and, and I'm glad that we're not there at that place anymore because mm-hmm. of their prayers, mm. because of the prayers of those who pray for integration or pray uh, that we'll have better resources. And we may not have the greatest of things now, but we are not where we used to be. Yeah. And I believe it's because of the faithfulness and those who had the audacity to pray back then before they ever saw what could be today. Mm. And I look back on it. I think, you know, of course, um, we're not victims at all. Uh, We're not trying to be seen as victims. Give us what's due to us. Uh, But I think um, look back. Our forefathers and ancestors had so much less than us and they was able to accomplish so much more. Mm-hmm. If, if you look at it, uh, I'm listening to, you You got Hulu? I do. You got to watch the 1619 Project. I'm not going to lie to you. Some of that stuff make me, it makes me uncomfortable. You have to listen to it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you got to be uncomfortable. <sighs> it angers you. Yes. And um, I just I think I just watched the second episode. I I've, I've listened to the podcast. I read some of the book, uh, but you also got uh, but listen watching it. Uh, you got to it's talk about how how you know the infant mortality rate or the mobility of of black women is at all time high throughout the whole nation. And I don't know is it. Is it a medical crisis that they're speaking about? Because all the people out here talking about it is Carla Gaines. Yeah. And I don't hear nothing on the news about it talking about this crisis. And and it talks about how how um, during slavery, because they outlawed uh, going to Africa and stealing more Africans and bringing them to America, they force women to have multiple babies. Uh-huh. And sometimes women will be pregnant up to 13, 14 times, but only have about nine children. Uh-huh. And and for them women to raise those children uh-huh. in those conditions and those children become successful, that is a major accomplishment. Uh-huh. I look at my own grandmother. She had 14 kids, but only nine lived. Mm-hmm. And to see my family at now, I was talking to one of our members who, who said they had 16, eight boys, eight girls. Ooh. Grew up in the South, but then most of them moved up North. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they're living well, doing well. And you, you commend those families and those parents that had to raise those kids through all of that injustice oppression fear yeah um and you know and our women were raped yeah um by the slave masters right mm-hmm. and and so and, and so no this, this it's just so much you know that you learn and you see and so that's why if anyone has any portion of black in them they're considered as black yeah. Even if they're mixed with any other race, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so that's what, but that's what Jesus says. He wants us to be found faithful. This woman to get what she wanted the first time she prayed, second time, third time. We don't know how many times we went back, but we know she went continually yeah. until she got what she needed. And that's what we must do when it comes to justice. Have we gonna live for it? We got to keep pressing for it until we get it. Thank you, Pastor, for another great conversation. I look forward to having more as we take more uh, studies into just the justice of our people and, uh, this month and, and celebrating those that are um, fighting injustice in their all in their respective spaces. Uh, please continue to check out our website, mtzlife.com, for more updates. Uh, and check back here for wherever you are listening to this podcast for more content. Uh, have a great day and stay marvelous, fabulous, and blessed. Peace. Peace.